0: Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Live Longer, the podcast, as we continue the second series, and we're going to focus on digital solutions for healthcare. And today in studio, I have a very interesting guest. He's the CEO of Milton Keynes University Hospital. He has brought a number of innovative changes to the hospital, and it is now a university hospital in collaboration with the University of Buckingham. He's a digital pioneer himself. He believes in technology as the way forward, to enable and empower our clinicians and our workforce. So join me in a warm welcome with Professor Joe Harrison. Joe, you're very welcome.
1: Hi, Millie. Nice to talk to you today.
0: Well, lovely to have you here. And now, clearly the pandemic has brought massive stress on the NHS and with it changes. And we've all had to embrace a new way of working and embrace digital technology. But is this here to stay? You know, or Are we going to go back to our old ways where we're hesitant to embrace the digital world? What do you think, Joe?
1: I think a lot of the really good innovations must be here to stay for the benefit of our patients and the clinical teams there's an there's an and in there as well which is that we saw during the first wave of the pandemic that actually in some areas health inequalities were exacerbated because of the overuse of digital technology. Mm. So we in the NHS and the health health and care system have got to make sure that we find the right balance between using technology and also engaging with our users, our patients, our clients to make sure that we don't inadvertently exclude anybody from, from accessing. That's the key for me.
0: Mm. And how do you bring your your team along, your staff along to actually get them to embrace digitally enabled pathways? Do you give them a choice or is it mandatory or what's your approach as leader of Milton Keynes University Hospital?
1: So digital technologies is is a terrifying expression to to lots of people. So, so what we've done is broken it into different areas that individuals and teams can engage in that hopefully appeals to them. <laughs> Whether that is our green technologies agenda, so talking to the staff here about how we use technologies to support sustainability, mm-hmm. through to staff technologies, how do we enable our staff to do all of their statutory mandatory training remotely and to be able to access their emails anywhere in the world? Some might say that's a bad thing, but <laughs> it's there if people need it. Mm-hmm. Through to using clinical technologies to enhance the patient safety journey here, the patient experience journey here, and also the clinical technology to ensure that patients are getting the most up-to-date treatments.
0: Mm. Well, we'll come back. You make a very good point about digital sustainability. And I think that's a topic in itself. We'll come back to that a little later on in our conversation. But if I could just start off talking about the clinical pathways. So as clinicians, we're always concerned that we do no harm and that, you know, there are risk with newer technologies and innovations. How do you reassure your clinician workforce that what they're doing will actually save time and improve the patient experience?
1: Quite often, we are very focused on comparing something new immediately with what's already in place. So if I take the classic paper record of the clinician picking up a set of notes and going to talk to the patient, it's easy. The clinician can write in that set of notes, job done. Mm. When you move on to an electronic patient record... In the first stages of that move, it requires additional training, it requires computers on the wards, and it requires quite a number of different, what might appear to be challenging aspects when it was all so simple with the paper record. <laughs> yeah. Where I think we've got to, certainly here at Milton Keynes, is being able to move past those fairly painful initial steps to say, look, we're now in a situation whereby you can access as appropriate with information governance, that patient's record anywhere in the world as the lead clinician. Mm. You can dictate live on your ward round into your mobile phone, and that will appear live in the medical record of that patient. So no more typing. Mm. And being able to see the ultimate gains that that electronic patient record brings for me is a really important part of taking clinicians and clinical teams on the journey. Because at the start of that journey, it can appear to be quite challenging when the old way was working. And that's what we have to do as leaders across the NHS.
0: What you're really describing there, isn't it, is a digital transformation, change management, end to end solution. You're thinking about it from the clinician's end of the telescope, but also you have to embrace the digital team, the management team, all the stakeholders to actually get everybody to buy in and to see that really what they're doing is an extension of what you do in your day to day life. As you say, you go home and you ask Alexa to order tomatoes, but you know, you're using your iPhone to dictate a letter.
1: That's absolutely right. And how do we, as leaders in the NHS, leaders in the health and care system, ensure that we address the problems that individual clinicians face every day with technology in the NHS? So why doesn't every system have facial recognition across the NHS? We know it's able to, we've got the technology because of facial recognition more broadly. We we ask busy clinicians to type in 15 letter passwords in 10 different systems. Mm. That's that's not digitally enabling our workforce. Going up to a computer and pressing a space button and having facial recognition is the way forward.
0: Yeah, I don't know how many times you come to a busy day clinic and you forget your password, then you can't get onto IT. And these are all real problems that slow you down
1: in, in a cl- setting and add to the stress of the workforce. That's absolutely right. And we have to look at these digital solutions through the eyes of our clinicians and also through the eyes of our patients, because ultimately our patients are facing the same problems as our clinicians in accessing data.
0: Absolutely. And I was talking to one of your nurses, Nicola Daly, the other day, and um, we're working with her to enable a newer digital pathway for rheumatology. And she was explaining to me that since they started using this new pathway, they're actually saving one full day a week of nursing time. It's about 18 minutes per interaction. And I said to her, does that mean then, say, the managers just make you see more patients? And she said, no, what we're doing is we're using that extra time on the people who can't embrace technology or who need extra time. And overall, patient outcome is improving, which we'll measure as well. So I I think this is a truly transformative where you really are impacting the outcome of the patients.
1: So I think you've hit the nail on the head there around choice. And What we saw in the first wave of the pandemic was that patients didn't really have a choice about how to engage with the NHS. It was virtual or nothing. Where we have to get to is to enable our patients to engage in a number of different ways that are consistent and helpful that all add to that patient experience, all add to that patient safety agenda. So It can't all be digital, it can't all be paper, How do we find that appropriate balance and using technology to support clinical teams and then enabling patients to access that for me is key.
0: Mm, I, I agree with you and what I found, you know, as a working rheumatologist as well during the pandemic, the patients who surprised me the most were actually the more elderly patients you know, they had the time, they weren't really necessarily used to using digital technology, but once they got into it, they were the ones seeking more digital solutions. They really surprised me. And I think it's wrong to say just because you reach a certain age, well, they're the ones who won't embrace technology. They're the ones who, who actually probably will.
1: I agree. And to be able to provide patients with the relevant, appropriate information is incredibly powerful to support People to manage their own care and to be able to get involved in care in the way that breaks down the the normal master-servant relationship, if Mm. I can put it that way, Mm. between consultant and patient into one of a more informed dialogue that ultimately will help the patient with their outcomes.
0: I absolutely agree. And I worked for a long time in North America and we were well used to patients coming in with Google outputs saying, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? So it really never fazed me. But now what we have to do is make sense of all of this Google outputs. And our role as clinicians is not so much in do as I say, but it's show me what you think. Let's make a decision together. Because patient empowerment will ultimately lead to more sustainable healthcare solutions, particularly for the chronic diseases. And diabetes is is the new killer and sugar is our, our number one enemy. So we do need to think about empowering patients. I, I completely agree with that and delighted to hear you say it, Joe.
1: The Interesting thing for me is how do we use technology to enable our patients to see their information from secondary and tertiary care? Primary care do it brilliantly. How do we enable secondary care and tertiary care providers to give patients live information to their data so they can truly engage in some of the most complex health challenges that they face? And that for me is the holy grail. It really is. It's so important for people to engage, to have that information at their fingertips. And as you rightly say, to be able to then navigate the appropriate Internet sites that are educational and informative and not scary to get the best outcomes for those individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not far away from that now.
0: Mm, But if I gave you a magic wand now, Joe, and you could shake it, what would you do or what would you wish for in order to have that dream come true?
1: That's a great question. The, (laughs) The single biggest thing that I want to do is change and empower the patient to take ownership of their healthcare. And in my mind, the only way that we can do that is to give patients direct access to their information immediately and an appropriate safety net around them. There'll be lots of people listening who will say, well, if it's a scan that comes through, um, the patient has cancer, surely somebody needs to be there to hold the patient's hand to tell them the bad news. They shouldn't be able to access that result live. My counter argument is twofold. One is, Every year, the NHS loses patients in its system who later present with a much worse diagnosis and prognosis because we've lost them. Mm. And that would be avoided if you were reading something on screen that told you there was a problem. You would make sure you got in touch with the hospital. Mm. And the second area for me is, actually, if I know that I've got a poor outcome from a diagnostic test and I'm going to the hospital. I want to have prepared myself, bring somebody with me and be able to ask questions and have a proper conversation. I don't want to turn up thinking that perhaps everything's okay to then be completely sideswiped by a potentially life-ending prognosis. So so for me giving patients live access to their data in the same way that individuals have it in so many other walks of life I think for me is critical to genuinely engaging our population in the management of their health.
0: Mm, it's a bit like accessing your bank account isn't it? You know the banks don't say your balance is x and sorry you're overdrawn and we're stopping the service. They let you see your accounts year on year, month on month, day on day
1: that's exactly right nobody could carry out sensible financial management of their affairs if they had to write to the bank every time they wanted a balance people would find themselves in all sorts of difficulties the same for me is the case for health and as i say primary care do it brilliantly there are other parts of the nhs that really does have to open its doors and stop talking about co-creating care with its patients and do it properly by giving individual's information to enable that to happen. Mm.
0: Perhaps... The banking example, I I know it's a good illustration, it's an oversimplification because people are naturally worried about their health, often more worried than they are about their financial health. And I think you've mentioned it, and, and I just want to really bring it out to the fore that in giving them access to live information, wouldn't it be nice at the same time if the system could also send some supporting educational materials? So let's say the patient finds out they're at risk of cancer, then information about who to see next steps, what this means to be given alongside this will allay some of the anxiety. Because in medicine as a clinician, we always want to do no harm and creating anxiety can cause harm for our patients. So I think it needs to be really thought through with multiple stakeholders before this you know, finally reaches a solution.
1: You're right. And I think there are probably two things there. One is that we tend to discount the anxiety of the nine out of 10 patients who have to wait for a For an all clear by the time they get to the clinic, and actually they suffer maybe not as high levels, almost well, certainly not as high levels of anxiety as the one individual that that has got a a poor outcome. But nevertheless, there is a significant group of patients that suffer anxiety waiting for good results. Mm. And I think the other thing is every day people will look at, Twitter and Facebook and social media and, and adverts will appear about things that they have been talking about. And so that we know the technology is available to guide patients to appropriate websites because private sector companies are already using it through the medium of advertising to get individuals to the place where they want them. So I agree it has to be well thought through and as always, the technology is already there. It's how the NHS, how the health and care system uses it and adapts it to get the best outcome.
0: And also planning, I mean, data analytics will be very helpful. You know, the project around your area with Ard and Len, where they profiled and segmented the population into twelve areas of disease morbidities, that could be very useful data so that you could actually proactively target educating the patients in these segmented areas so that it doesn't come as a shock and they can be more proactive about their own health and well-being because the motivation really has to come from within and everybody's has a different way of motivating themselves to want to be well and one way will be getting a scary result another way will be knowing oh gosh i'm at risk of that because of my family background whatever it could be so educating on the preventative side as well as the you know reactive side
1: the more money an investment that we can put in to keeping people healthy, the better. And that proactive view of where we know we have issues with our population and how we then actively go and seek to resolve those is one area of the National Health Service that has been poorly supported despite lots of people's best efforts over multiple years. And so anything that we can do to use digital innovations to get the relevant data analytics to support health interventions, the better. And there's a great opportunity there. We, we, we see it working in other parts of the globe and we we need to get on to that as quickly as we possibly can.
0: What would you say is the standout other parts of the globe that you would like to model us moving forward on?
1: So we see some brilliant work going on in Israel mm. in both the development and implementation of health technologies and also the way that the user is engaged in the management of their health record and health data. So that, that, uh, that country in particular has got a very, very good digital baseline to support the delivery of health and care i think we see other other parts of the globe be it singapore who are investing significantly in health management and disease prevention uh, and there's lots of work going on with their government about how do we support our population to stay healthy through the use of digital technology has to be something that that we learn from and implement as And when it comes to fruition, so I think there's there there are some great examples. We don't have to be at the cutting edge the whole time. I think we can, like any good technologies, we can borrow great ideas from elsewhere and we can we can use the technologies that have been invented elsewhere.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, Israel, just for bringing this down to a very layman's world, look how good they did on their initial vaccine rollout. And that most likely was probably because they were digitally very sophisticated and they could scale up. Do you think?
1: Absolutely that. No no question. And the amount of investment they put into their digital tech is is superb. And you can see now the benefits that that is bringing from multiple decades of of investment. Mm -hmm. And it's not too difficult to catch up. I think that's the key for me. It's very easy for organizations and for health systems to skip generations. And when I look at some of the parts of this country that are still paper-based, well, they can learn so much from those organizations that have already been on the journey and skip lots of pain points that other organizations have had to learn from.
0: And are you trying to enable some of these other organizations then, Joe, because you've you, you know we were talking about using Google technology, face recognition, using the tools that we use in every day. So are you trying to you know be a flagship digital hospital for other NHS organizations to roll this out?
1: One of the things that we are always doing is becoming a reference site for different technologies, whether that's Iona and the work that you've been doing here with rheumatology, CERNA, in terms of the electronic patient record, or indeed the inductions SD work around engaging patients with a with the patient portal where Mm. we have. That's a great example of where we've got 110,000 patients using our portal to manage their care interaction with the hospital, and not a single patient has been trained.
0: Mm, Interesting.
1: It's that technology that we need to get across the NHS, where it's intuitive, it's simple, and it's engaging Mm. in every part of the digital tech agenda.
0: And I think then if you demonstrate proof of concept, it's working, you can demonstrate cost savings, time savings, improved staff and patient well-being, then it'll be easier for the people who are slower to adopt, to adopt newer ways. We saw it in the pandemic. I interviewed Prof Luke Howard at the Hammersmith just last week, and he was explaining how this was evidence-free base in COVID, but one trust would develop a policy and then other trusts would adopt that. So I think there can be a domino effect here when you do things well.
1: Uh, That's right. The the NHS has had a relatively low risk appetite for technology in a lot of areas. What we're seeing now is organisations, whether it's Milton Keynes or in other parts of the country, saying actually we will take the risk on that because we can see the benefit of it. Mm. And then being able to be an exemplar site and demonstrate to other organisations that actually – if Milton Keynes can do it, it's not a big teaching hospital. It's a standard district general hospital like so many hospitals in the country, then everywhere can do it. And I think that's a really important message as well.
0: Yeah, and to have local advocates like yourself, but also the people like Nicola, you know, the nurse practitioner of rheumatology who are actually using it on the ground. And and I've worked at Guy's and Ian Abb's Your CEO counterpart there is incredibly supportive and facilitatory towards his clinicians who want to innovate. And one of my colleagues, Toby Groot, who's the clinical director there, he's constantly trying out new services, etc. So you need people who are interested in this, who can bring the slow adopters along. And that's what you're kind of explaining here in very simple terms for people, that this wave is not going to pass. It's going to continue is what I'm hearing.
1: Absolutely. And and I think the other the other thing that we do well here at Milton Keynes is we focus on the 80% that do want to do things. As an NHS, we have quite often focused on the 20% that are in the very difficult category. Actually, as an organization, we took a conscious decision to support the 80% in ideas and innovation and wanting to do new and exciting things and what we've seen is that that positive momentum brings the other 20% along hmm. and that momentum is really important
0: and how do you then maintain this momentum? I mean, we're getting into the concept now of digital sustainability, where you're making decisions today about what's going to happen in the future, and how do you pick the pieces of technology that will really make a difference and that can last and be sustainable, so that the resources that are limited are utilised in the best possible way for your patient population?
1: So, it's it's interesting, I was watching a programme on the launch of Apple back in 1984. And how IBM was the dominant force at that stage. And what's very clear is that we have to keep testing ourselves in relation to products and ideas and innovation that's coming into the market. There is no right answer for technology, there is always something better around the corner. And the only question that I think we constantly ask ourselves is should we? invest now, or do we wait? And I think those organizations that spend their lives waiting are those ones that are, are slower to innovate. And when you look at, if I if I take the green agenda as a, as a good example of that, the NHS has said that we'll be net carbon zero by 2040, which means that most organizations will not have this as a big issue for many years to come. Mm. We've decided here at Milton Keynes that actually on the back of feedback from staff, on the back of wanting to do the right thing as quickly as we can, we will invest in photovoltaic cells. We will incentivize electric car driving for staff. Mm. We will make sure that All of the energy that we use comes from a sustainable source and we will keep investing in that green technology, whether it's waterless urinals or whether it is having greener wildflower sites on site. Every little bit makes a difference. Mm. And again, for me, that comes back to the momentum of getting things going, keeping things moving so that everybody can jump on board.
0: Mm, And I think, you know, you've rightly pointed out the important part that the planet plays in sustainability and the people getting everybody on board in a sustainable fashion and the profits, because, you know, we have to look after the triple bottom line. If the NHS falls down financially, then none of this will work. So I think when I think of digital sustainability, I, I have to think of it in terms of the people, the planet and the profits and how. We're going to be addressing sustainable solutions in all of those domains, not just in green or not just in people, but in in all three strands coming together.
1: And when we look at what we are doing in our own lives around simple things such as the use of paper, Mm. actually, most, most people now don't have big files full of paper at home got rid of them and they do things electronically, how do we enable our workforce to operate in that same way such that we don't need paper, we don't have to destroy trees to get it and we're doing the right thing at the same time?
0: Mm. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, this is a whole journey and, you know, obviously what's good for the planet will be good for us. You know, it's the same when you think about what you put into your your mouth to feed yourself and and food is our destiny. And so that takes me to, you know, how do you manage your own well-being because this is a huge agenda. You're you're planning on really digitizing Milton Keynes leading the field for the NHS and this is a huge responsibility on your shoulders, Joe. So what what do you do to keep yourself well?
1: Well, the first thing I should have said probably at the start of the interview <laughs> is that I'm a complete technology Luddite. So it's <laughs> not that I am capable of using technology particularly well in my own life. Um, oh. I am lucky enough to have 12 year old twins that are more digitally savvy than I am already. Yeah. And they keep me absolutely grounded, both in terms of what I think is the right thing that we should be doing in terms of healthcare because they are users of the NHS and they ask really annoying questions like, why can't I see my information Um, (laughs) as 12-year-olds? So they ask great probing questions, Mm -hmm. which... I have to answer appropriately. And they also run me ragged, doing exciting things out and about at the weekends. To keep your fish. Uh, I think, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And and so one of, the, one of the big agendas that we know we have to tackle and make sure we tackle as a health and care system is the potential harmful impacts of technology on the generations that come through. Hmm. Be that the impact of social media, be that the impact of physical issues on posture, being at computer screens all the time. How do we adapt the care and the support that we give individuals to make sure that technology doesn't become a burden?
0: Hmm. Hmm. And we probably need to invest in research and development around that. I know that, you know, when I spoke to Ian Abs before, that was his thing. We need to look at it digital working ways and find the evidence base and innovate around that based on the evidence.
1: Absolutely. And uh, don't get me wrong, the opportunity to enable a workforce to work more flexibly Mm. using technology is fantastic. So, there are, as always with these matters, positives and negatives, and it's important that we don't swing from one side of the pendulum to the other.
0: Mm. Well, I think what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, this this wave is here. It's benefiting clinicians. You know, we're all enjoying having a hybrid working way. And as the technology improves and makes our lives easier, not harder, that will ultimately translate into a better experience for the patients. But I'm also hearing and seeing in my own practice that patient empowerment is really the holy grail and is the key to all this, which is partially why I called my company Iona, because it's about owning your own health care journey. And that's a really important thing, I think, for living a longer, healthier life is having the motivation from within and being empowered. But I'm also hearing that if the leadership in the individual hospital trust is strong and is willing to engage with all the stakeholders, that a really good, sustainable digital solution can be implemented that will ultimately benefit not just the patients now, but also the the health of the population that you serve. So I think this has been a really informative discussion, Joe. and I want to thank you so much for coming on on the show today. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Malia. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.
0: Thank you. And thank you to all my listeners for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this as much as I did, please feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can always drop us a line on Hello at Live Longer, the podcast. And next week, we'll be releasing the interview with Nicola, who's a nurse working Milton Keynes, to hear about her transformative digital journey and all the amazing things that she's doing for her patients. So tune in next week. Thanks for listening.